Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. What would it be like to get down to 3.8% body fat? How would you ever get to be that shredded? Well, today's guest will tell you exactly how he did it, and even better, he stars as the Red Power Ranger on Nickelodeon. That's right, folks, we have a Power Ranger on the show today for real and it's the red one which is obviously the best mr william schufelt is an actor fitness model and public speaker best known for his role as the red ranger on nickelodeon's power rangers ninja steel william is a super sharp guy very well informed i think you'll enjoy this episode now before we get to the show here's a note that just came in from todd he says i'm down seven pounds in five days and I'm going to be a millionaire because of it. I'm five days in, uh, in five days, rather, I am nearly off all of my pain meds and feel so much better. My debilitating plantar fasciitis has gotten better. I'm able to walk again for more than only 15 minute maximum spells. Long story, I can't wait to share it with you. I'm glad I came across your podcast by accident. Have a great day, uh, signed Todd. Well, Todd, I can't wait to hear the rest of your story. Thanks for writing in. And I'm glad you found uh, this show by accident as well. And, uh, you know, it's really great that you're getting results in the first uh, week. And even more impressive that you're dialing down some of those meds and feeling so much better. You're right. That can save a ton of money. Before I started eating this way, uh, I'd been, <laughs> I think it was five or six prescription med medications uh, I had in the cupboard. So, you know, now before we get any further, if you're curious uh, about where I've been for the, the past year and change, uh, you know, I realize it's been more than a year and a half since I had posted anything to Instagram. I didn't really post to Facebook uh, for a while, with some exceptions. Now, here's what happened. Uh, my wife, Allison, and I decided to move up uh, to the cooler climate in the Rocky Mountains. We're up here at 8,000 feet outside of Denver, up in the mountains a little bit, and we're really enjoying it, but we didn't have proper internet again for more than six months, so we weren't really able to upload any new videos uh, and, and certainly some of the uh, bigger video files that we've been making these days because during that time, uh, we had been traveling and recording a lot and uh, also getting into 360 recording and virtual reality recording and spatial audio recording, which is basically like 3D audio recording. So I'm recording uh, behind the scenes in virtual reality right now. Hi, guys. <laughs> if you want to check that out, it's all going to be at ablejames.com. But anyway, there's a lot of really cool stuff that we'll be releasing. If you haven't tried out some of the 360 video stuff on YouTube or Facebook, uh, then you owe it to yourself. Really try it because these days phones and, and uh, tablets are starting to be able to make it augmented reality, which means if I record some content uh, in that format, you can later look around the room using your phone or a virtual reality headset. It all sounds super crazy, but if you're interested in it at all, uh, I encourage you to check out ablejames.com. So anyway, um, as I'll get into in, in some of the upcoming episodes of this show. We enjoy taking breaks from uh, being on social media and being really plugged in um, for months at a time, uh, if we can. And obviously, we're, we're kind of 
able to do that after years of, of trying to make that work, but we know that it's something that we really want. We think it's important to our own health. So anyway, if there's if you feel a little bit too hyped up and plugged into technology these days, and, and you know, trust me, we basically all do at some point, then take that break. Give yourself permission. Um, one of the reasons I didn't post to Instagram, for example, for a year and a half is because I read a bit of research that said the more time you spend on Instagram in particular, the more depressed you become and the effect is not subtle. So, I, you know, I, I'm in this weird spot because, you know, creating content is what I do uh, for you folks, but also I don't want to be a part of the problem. So I think every once in a while it's important to take a step back, reevaluate uh, plan things out, give yourself a little refresher. And I definitely need that, uh, after being in front of the camera a lot. So anyway, this is just a long way of saying, uh, Allison and I are, are back on the grid. We'll be posting a lot of really cool content for you, including new episodes of this show, as well as 360 VR adventure tours of Yellowstone National Park, the Grand Tetons, uh, volcanoes and geological formations all across North America, and much, much more. You can check all that out at abeljames.com. You can also follow me uh, under Abel James or Fat Burning Man on most social media, and I'll be posting as much as I can there as well. But bear with me, it's not always real time because these files are huge. We have so many SD cards and hard drives at this point. And we, uh, thankfully, now have very good internet here in Colorado. So anyway, when we're here, <laughs> we can use it. When we're traveling, we have to rely on our phones. So if we don't get back to you right away, um, then we're sorry about that. But we promise we'll be back on the grid soon. So anyway, um, let's move on to this show with the Red Ranger, because I think you're really going to like it. I was surprised for a guy who's, you know, a ten, just about 10 years my junior, he knows a lot about uh, how to eat, how to basically uh, affect his diet and way of f exercising in order to mold his body composition into uh, the body that he wants at the time. So on this show, you're about to learn how the Red Power Ranger gets completely shredded, what it's like to transition from a plant-based diet to a low-carb ketogenic diet, how the new world of Instagram and other social media platforms shape our minds and culture, how to stay in shape even when you're working or filming <laughs> during 12 to 14 hour days, and, and both of us give a little bit of advice there, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with William. Welcome back, folks. This is Abel, and we have quite the guest here for you today. I've never interviewed a proper superhero before, Today, that's all going to change because right now we're here with the Red Power Ranger. William Schufelt stars as the Red Ranger on Nickelodeon's Power Rangers Ninja Steel, for which he's been nominated for two Kids' Choice Awards. Will, you're the very first superhero on the show. How does it feel? Well, for one, it feels great. It's great to be talking to you. Um, two, I also have to note that you would make a perfect Blue Ranger. Uh, I've never <laughs> seen anyone rock the color the way you do, so that's fantastic. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. But no, I, it's just it's it's a huge honor. I'm excited to be on. I have been listening to the show for about two years now, and I've learned a lot. Um, it's definitely helped me in my journey away from perhaps a more difficult diet and exercise strategy. You know, doing what a lot of people do. So. 
Um, it's helped so much, and I'm just excited to get into the weeds here. Good. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you might you might be the youngest person who I've had on the show, at least in a long time since I started, like seven years ago or something like that. You're about ten years younger than than I am, a totally different generation. Later in the show, we're going to talk about how social media and technology plays into all of this. But first, I interrupted you right before the show. You were about to tell me what your name meant. Yeah, so Schufelt, that is my dad's name. My dad is, um, well, his dad was German. So it's a German word that comes from Zofel, which means a wheat farmer. So um, as I was mentioning to Abel, I, I have carbs in my ancestry and, you know, some things you just can't avoid. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But how how do the carbs enter into it now? Probably not so much wheat, right? Carbs don't really enter into it at all now. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say that carbs are – depending on how you do them, you know, there's, there's slow release and we could talk about complex carbohydrates and, you know, uh, fructose and fruits. I think there are healthy ways to do carbs, especially with nutrient timing, fiber, uh, managing the insulin spikes. But as far as I go, I just I feel better without them. Um, they seem mm -hmm. to do something to my appetite, man. Like if, if everything's going great and I throw in some carbs in there, suddenly this ridiculous appetite comes out of nowhere. So I just prefer to not mess with them at all anymore. So how long have you felt this way? Uh, are we talking emotionally, mentally? <laughs> no, I mean like <laughs> – Okay, so you, as I understand, you were, for the most part, plant-based, right, and, and more yes. carb-based um, before this. So when did that happen, and, and how did it go? So that was, let's see, for four years when I was in college, I did a strict whole foods plant-based diet, and I did this thing by the book. It, it was Dr. Esselstein and Dr. Michael Greger and, you know, just pretty much any, you know, blue zones, um, how Not to Die, uh, mm -hmm. I was reading Healthy at 100 by John Robbins. I was just getting my hands on all the literature I could, and I was utterly convinced this was the healthiest approach. I thought all of the science backed it up. Um, but the strange thing was I, I felt terrible. Um, so it just – it wasn't vibing well with my body no matter how many variables I manipulated. So this was about when I was uh, probably about 18. 18 I started this. And I did that for quite a while, but the outcomes that were mainly negative for me would be in terms of my energy. Energy was always low. I would have these sort of like hypoglycemic events where mm. if I went too long without food, the whole hangry craziness and it was very, very difficult to do any sort of fasting sure. that was kind of off the table. Um, constant bloating. It was a very high fiber diet for me. Mm -hmm. So that led to other complications, which I won't mention on the air. Sure. Um, we can imagine, <laughs> we can use our imaginations. Yes. <laughs> oh, please don't, please don't. <laughs> um, so there was, there was that, and it was just no feeling of satiety. That was the other thing. Right. No matter how much I ate, there was absolutely no satiety and I never got all the way lean I was never able to get into that, you know, single digit body fat percentage, which that was kind of what I was aiming for in terms of the whole acting world and the sort of physique that I wanted to create. Um, I wasn't as strong in the gym. It was it was a whole number of things. So I did that for four years and, you know, I, I manipulated so many variables. I tried so many iterations and I finally had to come to terms with this isn't working for me. So I, I have to figure something out. If if the science is saying I'm going to get cancer from eating meat, you know what? I, I got to eat some meat like this just isn't working. Yeah. So 
I started researching and I came upon ketogenic diets and I started looking into primal paleo diets mm -hmm. and increasing dietary fat. Uh, you know, healthy sources of fat, which for us are saturated fats, um, you know, lots of different fats, which for most people, they would, uh, they would think twice about that. But I started researching into these higher fat, lower carb diets, doing more whole foods. And I was actually a year or no, one season into shooting Power Rangers. I'd been doing a vegan diet. My health was just crashing. It mm. was absolutely terrible given the hours and um, all of the circumstances of shooting. It's, it's pretty rough on you. Yeah. So we had a three-week hiatus in between seasons. I completely changed my diet. I straight up went cold turkey into like a primal keto style diet. Wow. And I came back and it just everything changed for me. It was it was night and day. So and I've been pretty excited about it ever since. It's been about two years now. Wow. Right on. So the like if, if you're looking at a plate of food that you would have eaten before, a, a full meal, a hearty meal, compared to the meal that you're eating after, what would be like a representative way to fill yourself up eating both ways? Interesting. Um, so in the past, if, if I was going to fill myself up on sort of a whole foods plant-based diet, I would include definitely some sort of whole grain. There would be a huge portion of that. There would most likely be vegetables. There would always be some source of protein. So probably beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, something like that. And then I would probably include some sort of dietary fat. So it would usually be avocados, maybe some nut butter, something like that. Okay. Um, and the thing is, it could be satiating for a short amount of time, but that would last about no more than two hours and the hunger was back. So, and nowadays, <laughs> what it looks like is a whole lot more like steak and eggs, hmm. probably some bacon. Um, yeah, usually foods like that, I, I really stick to basics. And I've been experimenting recently. I, I know this is like a whole new craze that's going on with carnivorous diets, but I've been experimenting with um, doing a lot less plant foods, and my body's responded pretty well to that. Th there could be a number of reasons, and I don't think we're sure yet if that's the optimal way to eat, um, but it's something that I'm responding well to at the moment. Yeah. Very interesting. I've seen so many people kind of go through this transition, myself included. Uh, we have a similar backstory in my earlier 20s. Uh, I was, for a time, vegan, a very short time. <laughs> it didn't last long for me. <laughs> but vegetarian, I was for on and off for years, um, up until my early 20s, most of my life. But I was never in tremendous shape. And like like you were saying, I, I was never able to lean down to the extent that I wanted to. Not not just for you know looks and aesthetics, but more for um, you know being really into running and bike, mountain biking, endurance sports like that. You want to a solid power to weight ratio. And for me, I tend to be more on the, if I let myself go anyway, on the heavier side, like I can put on muscle pretty easily. I can put on fat pretty easily, but yeah, it, it was obvious to me immediately that, uh, I'm, I'm really sensitive to diet in the sense of changing it from like the typical vegetarian way of eating and the, the more processed, uh, carb, grain heavy, not necessarily sugar heavy. I wasn't really ever eating sugar that much because I always wanted mm -hmm. to be as healthy as I could. But it was uh, it was a similar thing when I made that switch. Um, I still have always kind of continued to eat vegetables. 
Um, not necessarily a ton of them, but I think it's it's important to keep that in balance and not just eat, you know, um, some of the more keto things that are going insane these days. Like yeah. one of the things that drives me nuts is that, you know, let's see it. About five to seven years ago, there are different trends and there are different kind of like cycles of, of people who come through. But the keto thing hit hard about two years ago, despite the fact that people have been doing this for a really long time. It's, it's an ancient, ancient way of eating. But all of these new products came out and all of these people saying, like, you need to eat nothing but cream cheese and you're going to have these shiny abs and you're going to feel great. Um, there's definitely a happy medium there. And so yes. over the course of time, especially like keto, if you're doing it st- in a strict way can be really hard. So did you find uh, that it was a hard shift when you made the change? Not at all, surprisingly. Um, the satiety was so powerful and the foods obviously tasted so much better, yeah. um, especially with, with the addition of salt. You know, one of the things that yes. uh, is often brought up is, you know, electrolyte imbalance when your insulin levels are low and you don't want to be excreting too much sodium. So now I was salting these fatty foods and eating that when I had been subsisting on quinoa and and kale for years. Right. So um, it was it was honestly fantastic for me. I I couldn't believe that I was eating those foods and leaning down. And one of the things I loved was after that period of fat adaptation occurred, I was able to just go for such a long time without eating. Um, mm-hmm. And and I would feel fantastic. Like my body was very well adapted to fasting. Yeah. So that was huge to me just in terms of the work that I do and the right. schedule I have, um, just to be able to not have to focus on food consistently. And I love to, when I eat, I, I'm not a huge fan of calorie counting. Um, so I like to just pick the highest quality foods, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then just let my body decide the quantity of those. Um, so it, it worked out really, really well for me. Awesome. And how long would you say it, it took you to, um, adapt to being more fat adapted for, to, for you to lose that hunger and, and kind of, uh, feel your body make those changes. Um, honestly, so I, I'd been experimenting with intermittent fasting, even as a vegan. So I had oh, been doing okay. a- You had a head fast. start. Yeah. I, I sort of had a head start. I'm sure my body was maybe a bit more adapted to producing at least some ketones, at least increasing some fatty acid oxidation. Right. Um, I'm sure not nearly to the extent that it was after the ketogenic diet. So there was some practice in there. So when I switched to the keto diet, it wasn't so much like an adaptation where I felt worse. I, I actually started to feel better. And you could you could just think about you know increasing the fat levels and the hormonal changes that'll happen. Um, you know, eating to satiety and no longer. As a vegan, I was calorie counting because that was the only way to stop myself from just straight up binge eating. Yeah. So, you know, eating to satiety, allowing my body to get nourished by, you know, we know animal foods, for example, if we're talking about pasture raised eggs or about grass fed meat or wild caught seafood, it's so nutrient dense that it was just like a huge shift, mental focus, energy, satiety, um, physique wise. So, I, my keto adaptation was sort of a gradual improvement, um, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I experienced the keto flu. I didn't necessarily experience a whole lot in that. Um, I was salting my foods heavily. I was doing the bone broth. Um, you know, I was including lots of diverse foods. Good. So the the adjustment period was, was pretty gentle on me. Yeah. 
I, I can relate. I had a similar experience, and it's probably because I started fasting earlier as well. It was hard. It was hard to fast at first, especially yeah. once you're kind of like on that carb train. Um, even yeah. if you are eating, you know, whole grains and, and what you think to be healthy uh, carbs, it can be it can be tough because the hunger, I think, changes in in a big way uh, once your body adapts uh, to being fat adapted. The hunger that I remember um, when I was more during my vegetarian days was like this: you eat and you stop because you know that you have to. Like you were saying, it might be yes. your count. It's like more counting portions for me than counting calories because I always hated that. But anyway, you have to stop yourself and then, like I don't know. It's that Chinese food thing where you had like one and a half hours later, you're just you have this hole in your stomach and you need to fill it up yeah. again. But you just ate, you know, you like just cleaned up what you made or whatever. You just, you know, got back from the restaurant and you're hungry again. That type of thing I haven't experienced in years. It's like I'm I've been eating one meal a day or one and a half meals a day for five or seven years now. And it's like when I eat, I can I can put down quite a lot. But when I'm done I feel good. I don't feel like overly stuffed. I don't feel sluggish. Uh, maybe a little bit more sluggish than before I ate, but I tend to eat in the evenings, and that's kind of what I want, right? Mm -hmm. um, did you? What other changes did you find in terms of like lifestyle? We can get into what it's like to uh, eat this way when you're shooting on set because it does make it a lot easier. But, but what else? So in terms of lifestyle, um, well, the grocery list obviously got a lot more simple. Um, right. And I was also able to sort of end the food obsession that I had for so long, which was it was really starting to make me question myself and think, do I have an eating disorder? Like what's mm. what's going on here? Because I couldn't stop thinking about food. And it's exactly as you described. It's it's a feeling of you eat. You know, your stomach's sort of bloated. You can tell you should be full, so you just stop eating. But you're not necessarily satisfied. You could eat more if you let yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that was that was an issue with me. Um, Lifestyle-wise, it, it was just things got so much better for me. Um, for one, going to eat out, it's so much easier to eat out. I find on a keto diet to to just order a steak. It's just mm -hmm. very simple. A side mm -hmm. of vegetables. Um, you know, not having to have a, a specially prepared mushroom burger or anything like that. Right. So. Um, it was a lot more simple on my lifestyle and just in terms of being able to eat less. So like you, I also do usually one to two meals a day. Um, I, I love the benefits of fasting, the autophagy, the mental focus. Um, you know, so I, I love being in the fasted state. Uh, and I'm also a huge fan of coffee. So just throwing in a cup or two of coffee in the morning and Cheers. I just really am able to zone in. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it is. It's a lifestyle um, choice. <laughs> oh, absolutely. People can tell me about cortisol all they want. I'm going to keep my coffee. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, in terms of um, just ease, lifestyle just got a whole lot easier with that. Yeah, right on. So <laughs> one thing that I remember, well, especially from that that TV show, which was about diets that I was on on ABC, there were five teams the other the other teams were primarily eating more veggie foods or more carb heavy foods and um how long do you guys usually shoot or what's a long day of of shooting for you guys oh geez so um we will get picked up 5 30 to 6 a.m and then we're in you know makeup costume uh until about seven and then we're on set from seven usually until about 
5 to 7 p.m. So it's it's pretty long days. We, we could do 12 to 14 hour days, yeah. and that's about five days a week. And then on the sixth day, we'll usually do voiceover work in the studio. So um, it's it's pretty long weeks, and they can be intense. Um, you know, obviously lunch break, things like that. There's mm-hmm. afternoon tea, um, but they're they're pretty full on days. And I'm sure like you experience this, you never actually have time to yourself if they need you mm-hmm. at any moment they have complete access to you it's right. like you know if you're taking a nap in the trailer you better get out of the trailer and go shoot the scene right now yep uh, so you just have to be prepared for that and it can be a bit hectic and stressful but you just have to show up ready when you're on set you know you are the property of whatever production company and you just got to be ready right uh, Isn't that amazing <laughs> One of one of the many intelligent ideas I had when I was on set was the idea of getting up at three in the morning to work out. Now that's I, I hope you can read the sarcasm. It was a terrible idea, and yeah. I felt I felt oh man, I I don't know why I did that, but it was just I couldn't work out after work. So yeah. you know after a long day of shooting, it, it was inconceivable for me. I, I wanted to study my lines, maybe get some food in me, and go to sleep. Um, so the only time I really had to set aside some time for myself, I'd get up at three, four o'clock sometimes, and I'd go work out and then I'd go to set. Um, and it was, it was a rough lifestyle. So combine those things with the, the vegan diet I was doing in the first season. And it was just a recipe for disaster. (laughs) Yeah. It it increases stress, crankiness, all these things. That's what I remember from doing the show too. It sounds really familiar. It was like 12 hour, 14 hour days, sometimes six or seven days a week. And, um, And ironically, like even though I was on a fitness show and like you're a power ranger, you don't really get exercise while you're shooting. You're mostly standing there waiting for them to fix the lights or to get the shot right or to, you know, fix someone's costume over there or or what have you. But other people um, were freaking out because they needed to eat every two hours. But sometimes you have to stand there for six hours in a row. Right. Um, So that was something that I got to watch Kurt, the guy I was coaching kind of uh, transition into it. First, it was really hard. It's like when you first start fasting or something like that um, to go, you know, two, three, what, I haven't eaten in four hours, six hours. But then after that, we got, we started to get this huge advantage over um, some of the other members of the team. And even Kurt was laughing at the crew and the production crew because they're just like grabbing Cheetos and Oreos and all this stuff because they're hungry every two hours. And so it's something that, especially if you're in, I find like in, in performance type uh, careers, like if you're on film or if you're a musician or if you're traveling a lot and you just don't have enough uh, time or access to um, healthy food, especially veggies, sometimes it's better just to not eat and you feel fine. You don't, you don't get yeah. that same kind of angry hunger with that hole in your stomach feeling before or after you eat, I find, right? Yes. Not like this is the cure for everything. I just find that uh, there are some tweaks that almost everyone can make uh, to make your career, to make your day-to-day life a lot more comfortable and a lot less complicated. Because, I don't know, eating, like you said, eating vegan, vegetarian for me, I found it very complicated. Yeah. If, if we're talking in terms of supplementation and food sourcing and how's your B12 and your D3 and your mm-hmm. omega-3s, it's, there are so many variables. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's a lot harder to do than this sort of diet. I, I got to tell you, when I was on set that first season, the bane of my existence was the craft table. Yeah. So craft with the, with the cookies and yep. everything I had on there. Every time. It was just 
painful to avoid that. And I had days where I would just go hard on that. So, yeah. uh, you know, coming into that second season, I would be showing up with butter in my coffee in the mornings. And um, honestly, like I, I don't do so much fatty coffee anymore. I've sort of scaled back on that. And I find I'm a bit leaner if I just go with straight up black coffee and I sort of manage my dietary fat. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was doing that on set and I was showing up with some MCT oil and some, you know, Kerry gold in there and whatnot, um, I was just laser focused in the morning and, and almost obnoxiously so. So right. everybody's still waking up and put, pulling the boogers out of their eyes. And I was just like on fire. Um, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. But I think that's a really good point, too. Uh, because a lot of people are kind of going through the same sort of transition transition. You don't want to get carried away with a fatty coffee type stuff. You don't want to be yes. pounding down, you know, 500 calories worth of pure fat in your morning exactly. coffee every day, because it's like, it's kind of better just to eat a chocolate bar. I mean, psychologically for me, it can be a nice transition to fatty coffee. But what, what I tend to um, encourage people to do is step it down over the course of time, kind of like you. It's like for me, when I drink coffee, most of the time it's it's a tablespoon, maybe two tablespoons of fat, heavy cream, sometimes half and half, whatever's really around at this point. But it's not dumping in the whole thing of heavy cream and it's yeah. not doing it every day. And also another really important thing about um, keto, and I'm sure you, you realize this as well, it's not as much about like what you're adding. It's much more about what you're subtracting from your diet. That's why you're getting the result. Because like, if you're doing um, keto correctly, I I believe it, it's kind of more like fasting. It's more of a fasted state for your body, because your blood sugar is in check. You're the reason that you're not as hungry anymore is because your blood sugar isn't going up and down like this crazy wave all the time. Now you can be a little more chilled out. Have you noticed um, mental effects (laughs) <laughs> aside from the, the fatty coffee when you have a bunch of that in the morning because caffeine plus fat yes that works that'll get you all hyped up but like oh, yeah. have you noticed anything else Me- mentally um, emotionally i mean yes so mentally absolutely um one of the things that i had the most trouble with as a vegan was focus mm-hmm. so being in college having to study all the time but doing this very low fat diet and it was calorie restricted, and I was trying to fast, and I was training hard, usually sleep deprived. Trying to focus, it was next to impossible. And I was starting to reconcile myself with the fact that maybe I'm just a person that can't focus very well. Um, Which is crazy, because I'm sure there are so many people that think that, and then they get medicated, and there's a, a whole load of complications that come with that, when it may have just been something as simple as some diet and lifestyle factors, mm-hmm. which, man, that's that's what's great about the kind of work that you're doing. Um, it gets this information out there, so it kind of corrects things before they can become a problem. So switching to this diet, I completely agree with you. It's more about what you're taking out of your diet, um, especially if we're talking about fatty acid oxidation and increasing that. Um, you know, it's really I, – I, I kind of fell for the whole – you know, eat more fat to burn more fat, which I don't think is necessarily true. And there is something to be said for energy balance. Yeah. Uh, You know, you do, you do kind of have to ultimately carbohydrates and fat are both energy sources for the body, which are going to be stored. Um, You know, so if you're, if you're living a relatively sedentary life and you're consuming massive amounts of fat throughout the day, especially if it's hyper palatable cheeses and, you know, you're doing tons of fatty coffee and nuts 
you might put on some body fat. Obviously, it's not going to be as bad as if you're downing tons of carbs, but you might put on some body fat doing that. Um, but mental focus was huge for me when I switched over to this sort of diet. Yeah. Um, it's man, it's just you combining the fasting and combining the lower carb approach in the whole foods and the brain actually being fully nourished by the omega threes and the saturated fats and mm -hmm. all of the foods you're eating. Um, it was really, really big for me. So th the other thing I love is that I can sit down and just work for hours and hours and hours now. And there's no, you know, I need to go eat. Uh, there's nothing I have to worry about. I'm completely able to zone in and focus. And that I think, you know, you'll hear guys like Dave Asprey talking about this, but it's, it's a huge performance benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, are there any downsides that you've noticed or any things that you had to get used to? Any downsides? Um, man, life just kind of got better after doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to honestly think about, uh, Oh man. Yeah. Cause I, I really, um, I'm able to really just simplify my diet. I, I've done so much of, you know, trying to make my food diverse and mm -hmm. trying to consistently use food as entertainment that I'm, I'm sort of done with that. And I really like to keep my menu simple now and it works so well for me. Um, I, I can talk about a number of upsides, but I can't think of too many downsides at the moment. Um, you know, Mental focus got better, energy got better, sleep got better, gym performance, body composition, skin got better, which was fantastic. Yeah, because your gut was probably getting better at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and probably I had better omega-3 to 6 ratios. My inflammation was most likely going down. Um, yeah, life, life's just been a whole lot better since. <laughs> right on. So I saw some some pictures of you getting down to what was it, like 3.8% body fat? Yes. Low single digits. So let's talk about how you're able to uh, manipulate body composition on a, a keto-ish type diet. How are you able to, uh, I guess, zero in on the type of composition that, that you'd like eating this way? Because it, it's not necessarily the same as, as other ways of leaning down. No, absolutely not. Um, so 3.8% body fat, that was on an in-body scan, which... Um, they're not as accurate as, let's say, a bod pod or a DEXA. Yeah. Uh, but usually they're supposed to be within 2% accuracy. So if that was 2% below, then I would have been 1.8. I highly doubt that. <laughs> no. If it was 2% <laughs> above, maybe 5.8. So right. my personal opinion was that I was most likely in the 4 to 5% range. Yeah. Um, and I'm able to hover at that pretty much throughout the year. And I don't have. As far as I know, it's not taking a toll on my hormones. I still feel fantastic. Gym performance is great. So basically what I do, I still – I don't like calorie counting. Um, I, I really, really like to eat to satiety. So mainly what I'll do is if I want to cut down, I don't do long cutting periods of you know three, four weeks um, where I slowly restrict. Mm -hmm. I kind of like to just do – you know, like a one meal a day approach. I put that meal towards the end of the day. Earlier in the day, I'll work out fasted and I just like to include weight training and then some form of usually zone two cardio. So it's usually 30 to 45 minutes. Um, I'll go for a run. I'll do jump roping. I'll go to a boxing class. I'll do uh, Muay Thai, um, Jiu Jitsu. I'll do even the Stairmaster every now and then. So it's usually just a combination of weight training and you know about 30 to 45 minutes of cardio 
and that is able to lean me down so quickly. Is that in all, terms? That's all fasted. Yes, that's all fasted. Okay, wow, cool. And I find that it's really critical when I'm in that fasted state that I'm eating enough salt during my meals. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to have a huge impact on my performance. I've tried lower sodium; really bad for me. Um, I'm probably. I'm sure all of my electrolytes are just flooding out of my body, magnesium, potassium, sodium. Um, So I definitely try to keep my salt up when I'm eating. In terms of what I'm eating at that one meal a day, I really, um, this is kind of different in terms of my approach, but I no longer concern myself too much with gluconeogenesis. I like to keep my protein pretty high and my fat relatively high. So it usually honestly looks like a one-to-one ratio of protein to fat. Um, In terms of grams, obviously, ratio-wise, that's probably more like 70 to 30 since fat is more nutrient or calorie-dense. But I like to keep it about one-to-one. So usually um, some beef or bison, I'll throw in some fish in there. Um, I like to do lots of eggs. I eat tons of pasteurized eggs. And then I'll supplement with some cod liver oil. Sometimes I'll eat beef liver. Um, I keep it pretty simple in terms of supplementation. That's about all I take, cod liver oil, and then I'll have some beef liver every now and then, bone broth. Um, And then in terms of plant foods, kind of what I do now is mainly just some low sugar fruit. So I might do some avocado. I might do some tomatoes, um, something like that. I don't do too many leafy greens or cruciferous veggies anymore. Um, And that's sort of just more of a recent experiment for me. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much the template for me, honestly. It's just that that's what I'm doing to cut down. Usually if I'm just maintaining my physique or if I'm really active, I'll do two meals a day. Sometimes I'll go up to three meals a day. That's kind of rare. Yeah. Um, but that's that's pretty much what it looks like for me. So, yeah, and I'm able to get down to that that body fat, which usually people think you have to be counting calories or eating five meals of you know the broccoli and brown rice and chicken breast, and that's a great way to make yourself hungry and crazy. So, I, I feel fine throughout the day, and I much prefer this approach. Um, do you ever feel like you're close to bonking when you're working out fasted? No, I've, I've never had that bonking feeling. Um, sometimes I do get the feeling that my glycogen stores are pretty low. Um, and I'm, I'm talking mainly in terms of muscle glycogen. So if I'm doing something that's more heavily anaerobic, if it's, you know, jujitsu, Muay Thai, if I'm doing like a really hard leg workout or I'm doing a bunch of sprints and this is like way towards the end of the day and I'm really pushing it with that. Yeah. Um, I, I do listen to my body, and, and if my body is telling me, like, look, now you're just pushing your stress hormones up, you're tired, you know, we have no more glycogen for you, just chill. I will just chill, and I'm not going to push it too hard. Um, but ultimately, it, it works out really well, and I think, obviously, having the contribution of fat towards your energy is huge. So, obviously, as you're in that steady state zone one and two kind of heart rate, um, you know, major contributions from fat and for those shorter bursts, you know, you're going to get some of the muscle glycogen contributions. So um, I usually feel pretty good as long as I'm just keeping my salt up there. One of the reasons that I've recently increased protein is it, it was just from something I was reading recently, but about gluconeogenesis making larger contributions to your muscle glycogen than your liver glycogen. So as soon as your liver glycogen is depleted from fasting, you're able to sort of maintain that fasted state, still producing the ketones running off of that. And the muscle glycogen is spared for those anaerobic type activities. And it's not necessarily contributing to the liver glycogen. 
I'm not a doctor, whether that's true or not, I may have misread, but that's something I've been experimenting with and I feel pretty good on it. Yeah. Well, one thing worth pointing out is that even even doctors and researchers have no idea what they're talking about most of the time. It's like <laughs> you you can uh, hone in on these tiny little pathways and these tiny little rabbit holes that kind of explain how the body works. And it's it's I think good to take it all with a grain of salt, so to speak, because yes. um, every Everyone, especially if you're physically active, your body is going to be different. Uh, your body is different year to year, season to season, and that sort of thing. So it's really important to kind of take this intuitive approach. And if you're feeling good doing what you're doing, it's important to uh, to not just keep track of that now, but also kind of like put that in, in your little back catalog of like, I felt good when I was doing this. Maybe this is why. You can never yeah. know for sure. You can never... You know, you'll always be chasing those personal bests and that sort of thing. Um, but the experimentation that you've been doing, um, trying a bunch of different ways of eating will definitely serve you in the future. And anyone who's listening, experiment, try it out, you know, um, yes. read the things, but more importantly, try them yourself because you'll be surprised. Some things that, you know, other people think work great, totally don't, but, um, mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, let's say this were five years ago and you tried listening to the fat burning man show, hearing all about like bacon and delicious grass fed butter and steaks and stuff like that doesn't jive so well for someone who's in a completely different headspace back then. Absolutely. But if you can, you know, where you are now focusing more on the, on the keto path, you can bring in the, some of the things that felt good when you were uh, more plant-based, right? You can do different hybrid diets for a period of time. I think it's really important to cycle different foods in and out because you can find a lot of people who, you know, find this one way of eating and they think it's the best ever. And they, so they like double down on all of these four foods or something that they're eating. But the whole point is that you're supposed to diversify your diet, right? Like yep. the way to eat like our ancestors did is that you eat a lot of different things. You try a lot of different things and, uh, that's good for your head too. That that's good. It stimulates your palate. Uh, it's like you said, a lot of people are trained really to eat for entertainment or to eat for, um, emotional reasons and things like that. And, and the more that you experiment, try different things and really get in touch with the way that your body works, the more you see it as, as this, this powerful fuel and this fuel that you need to respect, right? Because like, if you're only eating one or one and a half or two meals a day and then you're working out fasted the next morning, you're going to eat dinner the night before a lot differently, right? Like you said, you're adding a bit more salt um, because you know you're going to be losing the, the electrolytes the next morning. Uh, you dial it in a little bit more. That's important. Yeah, it's it's true. And there, in terms of what you're saying about food diversity – as, as an ancestral point of view, that's completely true. There are so few cultures you could find that were doing like a mono diet, you know. They were all eating a diversity of foods, and they were including plant foods. They were including animal foods, different parts of the animal. Seasonally, things would change, you know, depending on what was available. And that has a huge effect on the gut and the microbiome and that bacterial diversity. So that's absolutely something that people have to keep in mind. Um, you can't always stick to one thing forever. You know, when you think you found it, are you setting yourself up for deficiencies in the long term? Um, you know, might there be trouble down the road? So it, it really is good to shift around with these things. And ultimately, like you said, you know, unless you're managing uh, – 
a disease or unless you're managing some sort of condition, it's really good to get in tune with that subjective feeling of well-being, you know, that intuitive approach. I totally agree with that. Cool. Let's shift gears a little bit uh, just because I want to make sure that we cover some of this. Uh, but in this image-obsessed kind of Instagram society we live in now, it's it's pretty easy, especially if you're out in Hollywood or if you're in front of the, uh, if you're being uh, shot on film or if you're just an internet personality or influencer or something like that these days, it can be pretty easy to go insane or to um, kind of go down the path of orthorexia or being too obsessed with food or being too skinny. And I'm sure yeah. in, in your line of work, you see people who are trying to take shortcuts, whether it's performing enhancing drug performance, enhancing drugs, or if it's, you know, dieting too hard, too fast, what would you say to, to uh, people who are having some trouble finding balance in the world we live in now? Yeah, that's – oh, man. Um, especially when there are so many platforms where people are able to put themselves out on them now, um, especially if we're talking about Instagram and Twitter and things like that. We're consistently connected, and there's a pressure to present your best self constantly to the world. And there's that whole dopamine spike with – how many likes am I getting? How many followers do I have? It creates a really unhealthy relationship with your body and with food where you're consistently looking for quick results so that you can present them to people. But the thing is, this is a long-term journey. You're looking at longevity and health as, you know, this is a project that you get to work on for the rest of your life. So you don't want to be doing a two-week crash diet. You don't want to be starving yourself. Uh, you know, drinking nothing but lemon water, you know, so it's you really have to look at the long game with these kind of things. Um, there's so much to be said for just like we restrict uh, when we eat, you know, and you give yourself that break from food. I think it's so powerful to restrict things like social media. Mm -hmm. The more your brain is wired on that thing, and there are studies uh, that have shown how this has been gamified to create an addictive cycle. Like, you know, casinos, when, when like you a slap machine. Thing, Exactly, exactly. And it, it does so much to the brain. So, ah, man, it's, it's really tough because I see a lot of my generation and even like my little siblings, they're 14 and 16. And, you know, with the whole iPad and kids are being raised by their iPads nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's got their, their neck hunched over looking into their phone. They're completely detached from the world. So, I, I don't really know the solution for that besides taking time away from that. It is absolutely a part of our world nowadays. Yes, and I do think it's a tool that we should use. It is keeping us a little bit more connected, but in different ways. So it should be used and moderated. Um, I, I definitely grew up on it. So I was, you know, 12, 13, and I was on MySpace, and then I was on Facebook. And I tried for the longest time to stay away from Instagram because hmm. I just had this perception that it was a, uh, it was just a platform for vanity. You know, literally all you can post on there is a picture. So I wasn't really into taking pictures of myself. And I was just like, I, th I think I'm going to stay away from that. Eventually, it got to the point where I was like, okay, this could contribute in a valuable way to my career. So yeah. um, I embraced it a lot more now. But ultimately, <laughs> I try to stay away a little bit from the comments and what people are saying and mm -hmm. try not to get too involved in that because that stuff can mess with your head. If you get too obsessed with what are people saying about me? Do they like this? Do they like that? Really get in touch with yourself and with your family and your friends. How do you feel about what you're doing? What are your own personal goals? Don't let those get so influenced by the crowd and the herd mentality. 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tricky thing. And I think we're all still figuring it out because it's evolving in so many different ways currently. Um, even with, you know, the alternate reality and, and virtual reality and things like that, it's, it's going to go a whole lot further. Right. Um, so it's, it's an interesting situation. Um, I, I guess we're all going to see, and we're going to figure it out as it happens. Yeah. I'll just apologize now for anyone who's listening. While we're on the subject, I haven't posted to Instagram. I think I have like 40,000 followers on there. I haven't posted in like a year and a half because I read this article. And I was posting a lot during like the TV show and stuff like that. Because like you said, it's, I, I want to connect with people kind of wherever they are. But, but you could see it morph from kind of food pictures and pictures of where people were to just like pictures of, of themselves and like selfies and... and um, as someone who's on the screen a lot, I think it's really important to take those breaks, uh, like you said. Yeah. Um, yet, you know, kind of the way that all these things are built and the gamification of them uh, requires that you keep posting. Otherwise, you lose your steam, right? Or at least that's what people yeah. worry about. You lose your followers. You lose that connection. What's going to happen to me now that I haven't posted in a long time? But at the same, like who who also has time or the sanity to, to post to you know, five, seven, ten different platforms every day and respond yeah. to all the DMs and, and do all that. So it is something that we'll definitely have to um, keep track of and, and work on. And we can celebrate parts. I mean, this isn't necessarily show, social media, but as soon as we post it to YouTube, it will be right. And, and as soon as we post some of this stuff to other um, social media platforms, it can be good, but uh, it's something to watch out for. And I would you know, I was I was looking at usually before I interview anyone, I look at some of their social media accounts. I go to the blog, see what's happening with them. And it's really interesting to see um, how people are presented on social media and then actually like interact with them in, in a more yeah. realistic way. And hopefully where this is going it is a place where we can interact in a more realistic way, because like right now. For most of the people who I've had on this show who I meet like for the first time, there's a big disconnect between like their social media accounts and who they actually are. And I know that's true for me, too. It's just like we all need to kind of figure out a way, especially as people in the health field of, of how to do this without making people more and insane because i basically the reason i stopped yeah. posting as much i just read a few articles went down that rabbit hole and it basically says pretty conclusively the, the research that i've looked into that the more time you spend on social media it doesn't matter which kind the less happy you are the more it sucks your soul away and that's the opposite reason that most people are going there right so anyway we don't want to create hungry ghosts and we want to make sure that we're kind of moving this in a positive direction um and I'm not sure what the answer is, but I figured you'd be a great person to talk to because, like you said, uh, you grew up with it more so than I did. And, and your younger siblings are growing up with it even more, you know, entrenched yeah. with, their, with their lives and even their personalities today. Anything more to say about where social media is going? I, I think the one comment I would have on that would be that we simply need to maintain a clear vision of why we're using it. And then keep ourselves to that. As soon as you notice that you're deriving too much pleasure, too much affirmation or approval from others from social media, you're starting to get off target a bit. So if, if you know why you're using it, if there's a certain form of marketing or self-promotion or you know brand awareness that you're trying to create, stick to that. But yeah. social media is not life. It's not even close to life. And the more you can disconnect from it, especially restricting the amount of time you use on it, 
Um, there's something like people check it, I think, 15 times a day. And if we're talking about the younger population, yeah. it's probably more than that. It might be 15 times an hour. They're right. constantly swiping that thing. They got notif notifications binging the whole time, and then you got to go check what's going on. So restricting notifications and then picking your moments, you know, knowing, okay, so I might post in the morning. I'm not going to check this thing until the next morning. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think that controlling it is important and also knowing why you're using it and knowing when to get yourself back in check. That's great advice. Easier said than done, but <laughs> definitely true. great advice. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I, I promised that I'd save some time since uh, you've listened to this show for you to ask me any questions. So why don't we do that now if you have any ready? Yeah. So one thing I, I really wanted to ask about, this is kind of a very in the weeds question, um, but I'm mainly about minimalist running. So I've tried my hand at minimalist running, you know, whether it's a barefoot approach, whether it's Vibrams, whether it's, you know, um, zero drop shoes. How do you, how long does it take to strengthen your feet to do that? And because basically I deal with shin splints constantly. Yeah. So I'm still trying to make that thing work for myself. Um, do you have any advice on that? Totally. I actually, one of the reasons that I switched to minimalist type running not necessarily barefoot, but but sometimes barefoot. Um, is because I had shin splints all the time. I was a runner, um, pretty much as long as I can remember. I was really into running and mountain biking, and shin splints were just something that, like, as soon as I got like relatively fast, then I'd be training too much, and the shin splints would be so bad that I'd have to stop for like two weeks, three weeks, four yeah. weeks. Then you know my conditioning would go way down. I couldn't be fast anymore, and so it was just this cycle yeah. on and off of that. But when I originally switched, um, I kind of did the cold turkey thing. And I was running about five, six miles in regular shoes. And I've always liked trail running a lot more than running on hard top. And that's really important when you switch. Um, so I went from running like five or six miles to I think I was running with Vibrams or just kind of like barefoot in a in – a, um, I was in Austin at the time. I think I was in a field running barefoot or wearing Vibrams. I could run the first couple times I did it, like 0.5 miles or 0.75 miles. That's all I could go. And my my muscles felt like they had never been used before in my legs, you know, because basically you go from running and having this, uh, I guess your your posture is based upon your shoe much more than it should be. So you're train you're it's allowing your feet to be dumb and blind to the way they're actually supposed to communicate with the ground and move correctly. So basically, what happened to me is I I was running um, more. I, I was landing incorrectly. That's what was causing the shin splints. So once I removed the shoes, my, I was landing not necessarily on the ball of the foot, but more like in between the middle of the foot and the ball. You kind of. You can't run wrong. When you're barefoot, if you run wrong, it hurts and you can hurt yourself real fast. That's important because that gives you feedback in terms of like, okay, that hurts. Don't run like that anymore. You'll definitely yeah. feel it a lot. If you run on a hard, hard surface, blacktop, asphalt, anything like that, I wouldn't recommend running with Vibrams for more than like a mile or two. Like if you have to go between one part of the trail and a piece of road or something like that. It's okay to go on something that's really hard, but for minimalist running, that was the biggest thing uh, that I noticed. You're going to have to start slow and especially start on soft ground because you're basically relearning how to run. Um, 
mm-hmm. when when the front of your foot, the ball of your foot, the middle of the foot hits the ground. It, I can't really show you. <laughs> I can't lift my leg up that high. But basically, your um, my calves were screaming. I think it was the kind of the front of my legs, a weird spot in my back. And then even up here, I was feeling it. And I'm just like, this is a completely different form. It took yeah. me many weeks, many months to get back up to running, you know, five, six miles again. But once I passed that, um, I would go out and run for 20 or 30 miles sometimes when, when I was more in that that condition just because it felt good and it felt fine. And ever since I made that switch, I have not had shin splints. And I don't know, that's probably like 10 years ago now that, uh, that I haven't had that. Whereas I had it constantly before, but like I said, I'm running on roads less. I'm running on trails more. And, uh, when I do run, sometimes it's Vibrams, but a lot of times it's uh, Earth Runners is is the type of sandal that that I really like, which is it's basically just a minimalist sandal that will stay on your foot and you can run for really long distances or hike. One mistake I would like to bring up is I broke my foot while hiking wearing minimalist sandals one time. Um, this is actually while I was writing my book, I had the manuscript in the back of my backpack with like a bunch of equipment because we were filming like out on uh out basically in the middle of nowhere in california at that point and i had to make this jump over water and i stuck it too hard broke my foot and then i couldn't run for like six months so Uh. so if you if you do uh kind of make the transition to minimalist running or walking or just standing which i would definitely recommend i spend 80 to 90 percent of my time in minimalist shoes or usually no shoes um Definitely recommend that, but take it slow. And the whole point of it is to kind of get back in touch with how your body feels, how your body's supposed to run. Um, one one thing that I was researching at the time was called pose running. I don't even know if that's a real yeah, big thing anymore. That. But pose and chi running. Danny Dreyer, I've had on the show several times. Um, so he has a wonderful book, actually several books. He has running programs. I've I've gone to some of his running programs when I was in Austin. So it's a, it's a big transition. Getting away from those nasty shoes is uh, pernicious, insidious, and it's definitely yeah. worth trying. But any more specific questions about that one? Or you want to go no, that, one? Cool. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of good direction on that. Um, and I'm definitely going to have to. So you were actually able to run 20 to 30 miles in those like minimalist and minimalist footwear? I've tried both. So... It depends on the terrain. That's the most important thing. It's like if you're going to be doing trail running, minimalist shoes um, can work depending on the trail, right? Like you have to know the trail and how technical it is. If there are a lot of rocks, if you have to jump from one place to another, you might want that padding on your feet. You don't want to break your foot or whatever. Um, (laughs) I think I was wearing Mizuno shoes for a while there. And I, I wore out like three pairs in a row. I did enjoy those, and I actually combined those with some of the minimalist running. But I, I noticed that if I pushed it too far and ran too far in in the shoes with kind of the elevated back platform, then I would get IT band issues, and mostly my right knee would start acting up. Um, sometimes, like some of my muscles would freeze up and feel like they were uh, taking too much of the brunt of it. So. You kind of, you have to be very intuitive with how you do it. And you also, it's, it's important to 
plan, I would say, your runs or your hikes before you go on them. Like, know what you're up against. And, you know, worst case scenario, you can always bring a backpack or something like that. Bring a pair of shoes and just kind of do this hybrid approach. Mostly what you want to do is retrain the muscles uh, that need to be strong to run barefoot to uh, be strong and available when you need them, right? Which, even if you're super athletic, people don't have those muscles unless you spend most of your time like barefoot. How do you how do you lift? Do you lift in shoes? Like heavy lifts? I usually lift with these um it's these Merrill shoes that are very minimalist. Like you can literally twist them backwards. Mm. Um forget what they're called. I think they're vapor gloves. Okay. Um so I usually lift and run with those. Um uh, but every now and then it'll just get tough on the Achilles and the calf. I don't think I've built up that strength yet in my feet. Yeah. especially in the calves and Achilles. So I'll switch over into running with these uh, zero drop running shoes and I sort of alternate between the two. Yeah. Um, but I would really like to just make that switch. Cool. I would say it's it's definitely worth it. Just take it slow and just shoot me an email if you ever have any questions about it. I think we have okay. time for, for one more question if you have one. Oh, okay. So last question. I would want to know, um, e, man, which one do I pick? Okay, maybe. maybe we could do two if you want. Okay, 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 okay. So one of them is um, what are maybe your top three favorite books? And then the other thing I'd like to know about is what does your daily routine look like? And do you have any routines, rituals that kind of make their way into every single day for you? I love both those questions. Let's start with the daily routine one. Okay. Um, we live in the mountains now. And it's like depending on where we live, that kind of changes the routine somewhat. But um, – Basically, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I have a very excitable yellow lab, and she's like 75 pounds and can handle almost any amount of activity. So we'll run up the mountain for a little bit. We live at like 8,000 feet, uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm breathing heavy just thinking about it. But that's <laughs> before, before I wake up, a lot of times, I, you know, it's not like I go for a big sprint. It's more like I bound up the mountain to take my dog up there for a little bit. So that's something that's really good to get me in a, in a good headspace where I kind of feel like I'm making progress already before I even know what's happening. Oh, before I go out, I already started the the coffee. So that'll be ready by the time I get back from my walk. (laughs) So usually I'll, um, come back inside, drink a little bit of coffee as I read the I Ching or some sort of, uh, spiritual practice of, of some kind, something that will get me in the right headspace for the day, usually just a few minutes. And then I'll go out and do some light qigong for about 10 or 15 minutes in the sun so that I get, fortunately, it's sunny almost every day here in Colorado, which I love, but I'll get a little bit of sun in the morning, which helps me wake up, you know, when the light hits your eyes and your skin, certain physiological things happen. So that's happening at the same time that I'm doing the kind of light, um, martial art type activity. I don't do the heavy beating Krav Maga type stuff that I used to, but I I really enjoy the more spiritual aspect of some of the Qigong Tai Chi type stuff and maybe a little bit of yoga. So a little bit of that. And then um, I spend a lot of the day reading, researching, playing music, or doing these interviews one after another. Um, And the evening is when we feast. That's when it's kind of I don't want to say it's a ritual, but we do try to be very, it's like when you're only only eating one, maybe two times a day, but certainly one big meal a day, we really appreciate it 
and we take our time and um, oftentimes I'll be playing music and Allison will be cooking up dinner and then we'll, we'll eat it together outside watching the sunset. And we, oh, we nice. generally go to sleep at like nine or nine thirty these days, which is, I don't know, it makes us sound old and boring, but it's funny. Cause I was talking to Allison about it today. It's like the longer that we spend not partying or, or, or seeing a bunch of friends or family or, or stuff like that, we go to bed earlier and earlier and earlier. And all of a sudden we'll be like, Oh, what time is eight thirty? Let's go to sleep, you know. But the <laughs> the most beautiful thing—I I never used to be like that, really. But the most beautiful thing about that now is that um, you wake up early in the morning, and, and that morning that I described to you with my dog—it's like you get all of this free time that mm-hmm. other people don't necessarily have. It's like that type of thing where, like, it used to be when I was <laughs> when I was growing up in New Hampshire. I'd come downstairs in the morning. It'd be like 630 before school. And mom has been up since four. She's had two pots of coffee. And she's like, how's it going? What are you going to do today? But you get to be that how's it going? What are you going to do today type person if you go to bed early and wake up early? So we've been really enjoying that. And for the books, I would say, I'm not sure if I have three right now. I'm, I'm sure I do if I could think about it a little more. But this is one that I really like. Let's see. I, I can hold it up. It's called Wabi Sabi. It's basically uh, an aesthetic. It's a, it's a really nice, short read. Lots of pictures in there, too. Um, but I got that from one of my art teachers when I was back in high school, and I, I reread that very often. Um, there are a few. There's one Qigong book by, um, by my cousin's Sifu or, or master that I've been reading recently. So kind of like esoteric stuff, but yeah, uh, I read a lot about the music industry too. So I've been reading some like stuff that basically, <laughs> I don't know how much I should mention it right now, but the truth about how the music industry actually works and some of the subliminal messaging that's kind of impregnated into the worst types of songs. Um, that's, that's going back to some research that I used to do at Dartmouth. My first book was about the musical brain. So I like, I like going into the rabbit holes, I would say. But if I had to recommend a book that other people check out, it would definitely be Wabi Sabi right now. Wabi Sabi. Okay. I'll have to check that out. What are your favorite books? My favorite books? Um, hmm, let's see. I like to I like to read a good variety of things, but for the most part, they're nonfiction. I'm kind of boring like that. I'm I am sort of in that hustle grind stage of my life, you know, in the early 20s. So um, a lot of what I read is oriented towards that. Um, one thing that I really loved was Siddhartha. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I love that book. I also like it's not necessarily a book, but it's more of a I guess a philosophical treatise on uh, visions and goals, but um, as a man thinketh by yeah, sure. James Allen, love that. Um, I've always kind of reread that when I'm trying to figure out my path forward. Um, just because for me, like going from completely economics, no acting background, to going straight into acting, I had to get my thing together, you know, like really yeah. quick. So I didn't realize I was, you didn't have any background. That's interesting. No, I had never acted in anything in my whole life. And so. <laughs> now you're the Red Power Ranger. How does that happen? It was pretty much a process of just strict goal setting for about a good year. Uh, it took me – I went from one year 
um, you know, zero acting experience to booking that role. And there were a lot of little steps that led up to it, but it was basically having that big goal of, you know, booking a starring role in a TV show by the end of the year. And then I chunked that, that thing was down. Goal. All the way down. Yes, that was my goal. Interesting. And I chunked that thing all the way down to what I was doing every single day. And they were monthly and weekly and, uh, you know, quarterly goals. There was a whole lot that went into it. Um, but it, it just taught me a lot about what you can achieve, what's possible when you really apply yourself to it and what sort of strategy works for that. So, um, that's, that's still the kind of point of my life that I'm in right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. The, the thing that's biggest for me is that I love what I'm doing now, which wasn't necessarily the case when I was in college. And I'm sure you can relate to this. It's just a whole perspective shift, you know, like, just waking up excited to work every day, excited to do what you're doing because you believe in it and because it's what you're good at. And, you know, so it's it's big for me. I really enjoy it. And you were a Power Rangers fan growing up and now you are one. What's that? That's got to be a head trip. It, it's a it's a bit of a head trip, especially from the martial arts background I came up with. Um, you know, everybody at my karate school in terms of kids, that's the show that you're watching. So um, that was pretty exciting for me. The other thing that uh, I've been able to meet a number of those previous Power Rangers that I used to watch when I was a kid. Oh, cool. So that's that's been awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of getting over it. I I try not to think about it too much just in terms of um, – you know, just the role itself. I try not to take it too seriously or or look on accomplishments too much. I, I just kind of like to keep moving and enjoy the process. Um, but it's it's really fun. I, I do really enjoy it. Like my little siblings, for example, um, they've, they've become popular at their schools now because they get to talk <laughs> about their, their brother, the Red Ranger and stuff like that. So that's that's really fun to experience. How are they ever going to be as cool as you? <laughs> I honestly, <laughs> those kids are so much smarter than I was at their age. And like they're, they're on another level. My little brother's producing music already and he's 16 and wow. he's coming out with great stuff. My little sister, um, she's in these engineering programs and she does a whole lot of STEM things and she's 14. Wow. So, um, I was watching professional wrestling when I was their age. So I, I have high hopes for them. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you learn some sweet moves from watching wrestling, too. <laughs> That's very likely. <laughs> All right on. I know we're just about out of time. Um, but before we go, aside from watching you on Nickelodeon, where else can everyone find you? So currently, I well, I have two movies coming out next year. Um so one of them is an indie film that I'm the lead in, and that's that's kind of my first starring role in a film. Congrats, so I'm excited right about on. it. That's called Thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's called Palms in the Sand. And then I also have one that I'm a supporting role in that, and that's a lifetime movie that's gonna be coming out later next year. So there's that. We have um lots of conventions going on. So I'm gonna be at Comic Con this weekend. If anybody's at San Diego Comic Con, I'm gonna be there. <laughs> We're gonna have a booth. We might be doing a panel, I think. Um so that's something to check out. I'm probably going to be doing more conventions next year. YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Will Schufelt. And I guess Instagram. So Instagram would be at William Schufelt. And just don't go on there too much. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And as always, if you're listening, you can uh, check out fatburningman.com. Just look up William Schufelt to get the whole transcript, the whole write-up from uh, this episode of the show. We want to thank you for listening and William, thank you so much for being here. This has been a really fun one and we should definitely have you back. I want to hear what you have to say about being a Power Ranger for a little bit 
longer, more of a veteran Power Ranger. I could envision a show like that, plus all the new cool projects that I'm sure you're going to be doing in the years coming up. So thanks so much for coming on, man. Abel, I appreciate it. Look, I've been a fan of this for a while. I've been watching so many of these. I was trying not to get lost in the blue eyes as we were talking here. (laughs) Uh, But honestly, I'm a huge fan. It's been an honor, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you. And if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or FatBurningMan. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a second to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man. Better yet, enter your best email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.